Welcome to episode 2 of the Uyghur History Project, where we discuss the problems in the writing of Xinjiang's history. Since history emerged as a distinct discipline during the wave of self-determination in the 19th century Europe, historians have treated the nation-state as their primary unit of analysis. But, is the nation-state truly representative of world history? The trouble is that the nation-state is a recent, and often artificial creation. All too many of them have been assembled mechanically from loose groupings of tribes, peoples, religions, and lifeways. As a unit of analysis, the nation-state assumes that ethnicity, language, culture, and politics normally coincide, and imagines its past purely in terms of imperial political relations. In this approach, written documents from imperial centers are privileged over oral histories and archaeological evidence from the vast territories that surround them. Indigenous perspectives are downplayed, and historical memory is distorted to fit the imagination of ruling elites, who has either consciously, or unconsciously overestimated their role in shaping the course of history. In the history of Xinjiang, empires such as the Chinese, Mongol or Soviet empires, provide convenient units, but only for limited historical periods. Religions, languages, cultures, and lifestyles are so diverse and so changeable that they can provide only local and temporary signposts for historical analysis. This episode traces some difficulties in the imagination and writing of Xinjiang's history, while offering a brief chronology of events that are seen as definitive to its modern-day existence and conflicts. Written texts about Xinjiang's history were first found in the steppe zone during the rise of Xiongnu, a tribal confederation of nomadic invaders based in modern Mongolia, in the 3rd century BCE. The record-loving centers of central China, Anatolia, Mesopotamia, and Iran are too far away to provide any information about the region. The first written account of a Chinese encounter with Xinjiang only emerged in the 2nd century BCE. In 138 BCE, the Chinese emperor of the Han dynasty, sent an imperial envoy to Xinjiang, then known as the Western Region, to establish alliances with local states against the Xiongnu. The envoy returned to China in 126 BCE, after a hazardous journey and brought back information about the location, history, and military power of the far-flung states. This information was a new discovery for the Han Chinese court, who then understood that the states in the western regions were economic bases for the Xiongnu conquest and expansion. As such, the Chinese imperial army started to defend the western region from Xiongnu's exploitation, in order to halt their military conquests into the east. This strategy gave rise to the perception of Xinjiang as a territorial frontier and military garrison for imperial China. The next century in Xinjiang history is marked by dual subjugation under imperial China and the Xiongnu regime, where control frequently changed between northern Xiongnu and Han China in the second half of the century. After the fall of the Han dynasty in 220 AD, the city-states of the western regions either established their independent rules or came under the rule of other empires, such as the Kushans, the Hephthalites, and later the Wei dynasty. A dramatic change in the steppes during the middle of the 6th century affected the region deeply. Buman, a leader of ancient Turks, marched against and defeated his superior Ruran Khaganate in 552. This was the beginning of a new rule in the steppe, which resulted in the domination of Xinjiang again by a steppe power. This situation continued for almost a century, until China became powerful under the Tang dynasty and expanded its rule to western regions by 648. 
By and large, the western region city-states in the 200 BCE to the 700 AD preferred convenient alliances with surrounding empires and entities. There is insufficient evidence to suggest that they preferred some entities over the rest, let alone choosing to adopt any particular cultural influence as their national identity. Another popular misconception about Xinjiang is that Islam is entrenched in the culture of the region. However, this has not been always the case. Religions including Zoroastrianism, Manichaeism, Nestorian Christianity and Buddhism have historically existed in the region since ancient times. Around the beginning of the 10th century, a significant number of Uyghurs practiced Buddhism, the dominant religion among their subject peoples. They would remain Buddhist for many centuries before the completion of Islamic conversion in the 17th century. During this period, Xinjiang, as the center of the Buddhist world, also acted as an intermediary linking India and China, China and the West, and ultimately Tibet and Eurasia as a whole, and hence play a pivotal role in shaping the history of Buddhism. This part of Xinjiang's religious history, however, has been co-opted by the Chinese state media, to emphasize Xinjiang's connection to Chinese imperial history, where multiple dynastic rulers have officially endorsed Buddhism, and also to undermine the claims of Uyghur nationalists who attempts to build the Uyghur national identity around Islam. By the 11th century, Islam in its Sufi form was the dominant religion after ruling elites loyal to Buddhism were defeated in battle. As such, the history of the Uyghurs in early modern times became largely about Islamic city-states, notably those based in Kashgar and Khotan, ruled by caliphs, who were both temporal rulers and spiritual leaders of Naqshbandi Sufi orders. In comparison to Buddhism, Islam did become a more dominant theme in the modern Uyghur identity. However, this is not to say that other religions did not exist or does not matter to the region. Today, there remains a number of Uyghurs who are not Muslims. Seeing the Uyghur identity exclusively as an Islamic development would entail excluding these people from the community where they historically belong. Further, the very fact that various religions in Uyghur history are co-opted to support different narratives and political agendas point to the complexity and constructedness of nationalistic claims. The modern history of Xinjiang takes on new dimensions of colonialism and nation-building. First, the full political unification of the region was first achieved under the Manchu Qing dynasty in the 18th century after the Dzungar genocide, which exterminated the subjects of the Buddhist Dzungar Khanate in northern Xinjiang. The genocide was followed by state-sponsored settlement of millions of other people, including the Manchu, Han, Hawaii and Uyghurs from southern Xinjiang. The intrusion introduced considerable instability to Xinjiang. In 1765, the Ush rebellion by Uyghurs against the Manchus occurred after several incidents of misrule and abuse that had caused considerable anger and resentment. In response, the Manchu emperor ordered that Uyghur rebel towns be massacred, and the men were executed and the women and children enslaved. In 1864, the Dungan revolt against the Qing broke out. Anti-Jani Uzbeks from the Khanate of Kokand expelled Qing officials from parts of southern Xinjiang and founded an independent Kashgarian kingdom called Yetisar, which means country of seven cities. The Qing court swiftly responded to the revolt with a successful military expedition, led by Chinese general Zhuo Zongtang. After this invasion, the two regions of Zungaria and the Tarim Basin, which had been known as Muslim land, were officially reorganized into a province under the Qing dynastic rule. 
the entire process of unification took place over a longer period of time, parallel to the changing relationship of Xinjiang with the Chinese imperial center. The process signified not only the definitive expansion of imperial China into the northwest but also the emergence of a distinct region, which, within the political borders of China, continued to retain its local socio-cultural characteristics. In 1912, the Qing dynasty was replaced by the Republic of China. Like the rest of China, Xinjiang became embroiled in the warlord era, a period when control of China was divided among former military cliques of the Beiyang army and other regional factions from 1916 to 1928. By 1920, Pan-Turkic Jadidists had become a challenge to Chinese warlord Yang Zhengxin, who controlled Xinjiang. Uyghurs staged several uprisings against Chinese rule. In 1931, the Kumul Rebellion erupted, leading to the establishment of an independent government in Khotan in 1932, which later led to the creation of the First East Turkestan Republic, officially known as the Turkish Islamic Republic of East Turkestan. Uyghurs joined with Uzbeks, Kazakhs, and Kyrgyz and successfully declared their independence on November 12, 1933. The First East Turkestan Republic was a short-lived attempt at independence, and it was attacked during the Kmul Rebellion by a Chinese Muslim army under General Ma Zhang Kang and Ma Fu Yuan and fell following the Battle of Kashgar in 1934. The Soviets-backed Chinese warlord Sheng Shikai's rule over Xinjiang from 1934 to 1943. In April 1937, remnants of the First East Turkestan Republic launched an uprising known as the Islamic Rebellion in Xinjiang and briefly established an independent government controlling areas from Achush, Kashgar, Yarkand, and even parts of Khotan, before it was crushed in October 1937, following Soviet intervention. Sheng Shikai purged 50,000 to 100,000 people, mostly Uyghurs, following this uprising. The oppressive reign of Sheng Shikai fueled discontent by Uyghur and other Turkic peoples of the region and Sheng expelled Soviet advisors following U.S. support for the Kuomintang Party of the Republic of China. This led the Soviets to capitalize on the Uyghur and other Turkic people's discontent in the region, culminating in their support of the Ili Rebellion in October 1944, resulting in the establishment of the Second East Turkestan Republic in the same year. After the end of Republican rule in China, Xinjiang's history was again entangled in the nation-building project of Communist China. In the summer of 1949, the Soviets purged the 30 top leaders of the Second East Turkestan Republic and its five top officials died in a mysterious plane crash on August 27, 1949. A month later, the People's Liberation Army entered the region and the East Turkestan National Army was merged into the PLA's 5th Army Corps, leading to the official end of the Second East Turkestan Republic. A few months after Mao's declaration of the founding of the People's Republic of China on October 1, 1949, the name Xinjiang was changed to Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, where Uyghurs are the largest ethnicity, mostly concentrated in the southwestern Xinjiang. Today, Xinjiang continues to suffer from the trauma of its 20th century history. Uyghur separatists and independence movements claim that the Second East Turkestan Republic was illegally incorporated by China in 1949 and has since been under Chinese occupation. Uyghur identity remains fragmented as some support a pan-Islamic vision, exemplified by the East Turkestan Islamic movement, while others support a pan-Turkic vision, such as the East Turkestan Liberation Organization. 
a third group would like an East Turkestan state, such as the East Turkestan independence movement. While the East Turkestan government in exile strives for the restoration of East Turkestan's independence as a secular pluralistic republic that guarantees freedom and civil liberties for all people. As a result, Uyghurs in each of these camps have committed violence against other Uyghurs who they think are too assimilated to Chinese or Russian society or are not religious enough. To make matters worse, since the 2000s, Uyghurs have faced increasing persecution on their religious, cultural, economic and social lives imposed by the Chinese government. Mindful not to take sides, Uyghur activists such as Rebia Kadir mainly tried to garner international support for the rights and interests of the Uyghurs, including the right to demonstrate, although the Chinese government has accused her of orchestrating the deadly July 2009 Urumqi riots. At the end of the day, the modern history of Xinjiang is irrevocably tied to the history of 20th century nationalism in the wake of decolonization, World War II and the rise and fall of the communist bloc. To understand developments in Xinjiang would entail placing it within the global context, so as to understand various competing sectarian interests and claims of nationhood. Today, political polemics gives much attention to the question of who is the historically legitimate power of Xinjiang? The People's Republic of China would claim that China had contact with Xinjiang since ancient times, hinting that the word contact means governing. Conversely, the Uyghur nationalists would argue that eastern Turkestan was a distant and distinct region from China throughout history. But neither of these answers speak to the full experience of Xinjiang, a theater of regional and global politics that connects empires and states across the Central Asia and East Asia, illuminating cross-border and cross-civilization contacts that are central to the work of world historians. Perhaps, a more meaningful approach would be to ask why is this so? How is this related to the rest of the world? Unpacking the transnational history of Xinjiang would help to shed light on the complexity of experiences that the modern Uyghur face today, and enable the world to see them beyond reductionist caricatures.